This is Rob Pemmett for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. Delighted to be joined by sweaty Eddie Hearn on Monday morning. How are you, Eddie? I'm just pretending that I'm an athlete, Rob. Um, I was actually on Good Morning Britain this morning. They got me here at like 6.30, so I thought I should do some uh, physical activity. Gearing up for fight week, my old son. <laughs> How are you getting on? When I come down to fight camp the other day, you looked like you shifted a little bit of timber. Yeah, I've, um, well, when I was in quarantine last week, I actually dropped about half a stone because there's nothing actually to do. No disrespect to the Holiday Inn menu. You know, we've had better. but um, And I'm just training twice a day in the bubble because literally you get up, you know, have a meeting or two, and everyone's just sitting around like this, sort of in a space. So your book time's in the gym. Obviously, we have to let the fires type priority. Um, and when there were spots, I was jumping in. So I was training twice a day. And uh, I go back in tomorrow to get tested again and then start I'm actually in and out this week so I have to get tested a couple of times it's a bit annoying but um, yeah it was great mate it was great and uh, I, I quite enjoyed the bubble actually like, you know, a lot of people are just so excited um, for the fighters it's amazing um, and you know it showed on Saturday because they all rose to the occasion and perform Before we talk about uh, Saturday's fight camp card you did have another show that was on Saturday morning from Thailand Sarissa Ketsal Rungvisai returned to the ring against Anat Ruinrong Um, let's talk about that and get get that out of the way Um, entertaining fight surprisingly competitive for Sarissa It was I mean still a strange environment isn't it you know like that studio environment sometimes feels a bit almost exhibition-y you know I thought it was a really good fight I thought Ruinrong like I was actually thinking to myself do you know what I wouldn't stick any like obviously they made the fight our, our partners in Thailand and I was thinking do you know what I won't stick anyone in with this kid he's awkward he can punch he's a switch hitter you know it was it was a tough fight and I think to be honest I think it was quite a risky fight I mean after about three or four rounds I was thinking why me and then um you know Rung Vasai come away with it I didn't win him by three or four rounds nasty nasty cut that he got um but you know I think right now anyone who gets out sort of after the fight sort of breathes a sigh of relief and goes, oh, I got out, I got paid, I advanced my career, you know, the, the, the kind of pressure's off because I guess there's a lot of fighters right now that haven't boxed for a year, you know, starting to approach a year, maybe more. And I think the pressure's mounting. You know, I was, when I was on that Good Morning Britain this morning, they were talking about um, second waves and, you know, like putting the fear of Christ into everyone. I started thinking, you know what, like we had one of those and we had another lockdown, you might see people out of the game for a year and a half, maybe even two years. So it's very dangerous for fighters right now. And I think a lot of them are sort of thinking, I want to get out because, you know, and I think people in fight camp and, and rung beside and those guys, I've I, I got that sense of relief. Even the ones that lost, you know, they were devastated, but it was kind of like, well, I've got out, I've got paid and, you know, I'm moving on. So, um, yeah, good performance by rung beside and he sort of waits now you know, looking to get him out in December, but that may be his lot this year. Who knows? You know, really, we want him to fight the winner of Chocolatito against Estrada, but that fight's probably scheduled for sort of September, early October. So, yeah, I guess uh, just to sit and wait, and, you know, he's back. It's been um, over a year since he boxed Rungvisai. So, you know, good to see him back out. But before we move on to um, other business, obviously, Rungvisai spoke after the fight about the two trilogy fights that he can have, the Chocolatito, the Estrada... There's been some talk about Chocolatito. He wants to get paid, Eddie, 
for the Estrada trilogy bout. He's talking about a million dollar purse. Is that unrealistic under the current uh, circumstances? I have a contract with Chocolatito, um, and those purses are already in there. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I respect Chocolatito a huge amount and have a great relationship with his promoter, well, our co-promoter now, Mr. Honda. Um, and you know, we'll we'll speak to him about the purse for that fight when the time is right. Um, but also, you know, taking into account, number one, it's a very, very big fight. It's a pound-for-pound pound fight. And number two, the game's changed. And there are no crowds. You know, we can't... You know, listen, if we can go into... If we can do that fight in November or December at the StubHub and sell 8,000 tickets, you know, we're talking. But if we can't, then obviously everyone has to, you know, sort of be understanding of the situation. And, and um, you know, but... but want to make sure that he's happy because it is a big fight and, you know, it's, it could be a career-ending fight for both of them, really. You can't get him at fight camp, no? Well, listen, after Saturday, a lot of people uh, are on the case, but it's a bit late now. You know, anyone who missed out has probably missed the boat. But, um, you know, I don't know. This, this event, look, it's easy for me to sit here now and say, yeah, it was amazing and we want to do this again. And, you know, you could come Friday, have a stinker and it pours with rain. You know, like this is just boxing. You, so much is out of your control, really. You put a card together that you hope performs, and Saturday did. And, you know, we move forward to this Friday and see, see what we can replicate. Okay, so egg versus cheese. Start from the top, work our way down. Brilliant main event. Eggington, Cheeseman yeah. delivered, uh, over-delivered what was promised beforehand. Some fight. It's probably one of the best fights I've ever seen live. I mean, I think when you're here... And I, I guess we'll come on to crowd noise and stuff like that. What they did was they piped in a sort of hum, it's called, I think, in, tech, in TV terms. Mm. And when you're here, there's a real eerie silence. It's quite strange, to be honest with you. And I think, I think the hardcore fans would, would love that eerie silence. But maybe to the general audience, Sky felt that it's better to have a very, very subtle background noise. That's something that will be reviewed this week, actually, as well. So... Being in an environment and seeing a fight like that without 10,000 in Birmingham or the O2, to have the feeling of feeling it was like one of the best fights I've ever seen live. If you imagine that fight was in front of a packed arena, I think everyone would be talking about it for a very long time. So I hope they get that um, sort of respect from that because they do deserve it. And it was a great, great fight. As always, we know when I put Martin Murray in with Gabe Rosado, and called it beautiful, beautiful brutality and told everyone it was going to be World War Three. It doesn't always play out as it says on the tin. So whilst I was always hopeful we would get what we got on Saturday, I did think to myself, maybe it won't. Maybe Ted will box off the back foot like he did against Fitzgerald. And, and what we got was just two guys. And this also goes back to fight camp where I said about giving the guys the platform to feel like this is it, you know, like this is... And both of those guys, I promise you, when Ted Cheeseman walked into That's Life by Frank Sinatra and about 20 grand's worth of pyrotechnics went out in front of him, I think he was thinking, I can't believe this. I mean, I heard Matthew Macklin say, I went through my whole career without a ring walk like this. Do you know what I mean? And, but that's what we want. That's how you get fighters to raise their game. I don't want flat performances. You know, maybe, maybe Rungvisai was, was a victim of that as well, you know, in that kind of environment. And... Um, yeah, I just thought it was thrilling. You know, close fight. It's hard when you've got two fighters in a fight because, you know, you sort of speak to Sam and John Pegg after and they feel they should have got the decision. And it's like, oh, and then it's like, 
you know, when Ted ch- lost to Fitzgerald, you know, him and his crew were saying to me, oh, you just wanted Fitzgerald to win for the Fowler rematch. And, you know, then sort of Sam loses a close decision and then sort of Sam thinks, oh, I've been robbed here. And it's, it's do you know what? It's not actually that enjoyable in those kind of situations. Um, but I did feel like Ted won the fight. You know, a very, very close fight. It was times, first six rounds, I thought Ted was nicely in control. And I thought Sam came back in the fight. Sam was hurt repeatedly in the fight early. I think was it the second round, something like that. And yeah. again, but then he hurt Ted in one round. And again, I think in the 12th round as well. I would have loved to have seen 15 rounds. And I think actually Sam would have won the fight over 15 rounds, to be honest with you. But I would love to see it again. You know, and it's difficult because Ted will now go into the top 10, maybe even the top five of the IBF. And, you know, your, your first response as a fighter like Ted Cheeseman is, I want to go on and, and have, you know, and have a final eliminator, a world title eliminator. And it's just that I know that everybody would watch that would love to see number two and love to see it in front of a, you know, a, a busy arena as well. But really proud of the guys, put it all on the line and, and gave us an absolute cracker. Appreciate it's very soon after the fact and uh, Ted's probably going to want to enjoy his win at least for a couple of days. But Anthony Fowler returns to the ring this weekend. That's a fight that's been talked about. Try and get out of this. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, mate. It's better. Yeah. He's burning up. No, it's just the ice gone. Yeah, yeah well, well, uh, Anthony Fowler returning this way. Oh, there we go. Well, hydrate. Nice plug. Anthony Fowler, yes, returns on Friday night against Adam Harper. Actually, I've got a bit of stick about this fight, to be honest with you. Like, I actually think it's a good fight. I mean, I, I remember watching Adam Harper win, I think, the English title on one of our shows. And he had an absolute war. Doesn't punch that hard, but has a fantastic chin and just comes forward nonstop. Um, I think a lot of people, I guess, presuming Fowler is now, you know, a... a or maybe even past British level. I know he lost to Fitz, but I'm expecting a good fight, to be honest with you. Adam Harper has trained like a lunatic for this fight. It's a massive opportunity for him. And I hope he hangs in there and gives us some rounds because I'm hearing great things out of the camp um, with Anthony Fowler and the improvements, but he has got a new trainer and you know he's making that, that, that switch and that change. So I'm excited to see Fowler in action. Um, I do expect Harper to test him. And listen, after three rounds on Saturday, I was just thinking to myself, can you imagine Cheeseman against Fowler? You know, Eggington against Fowler. You know, Fitzgerald against either of them. It's such a great mix. And I expect Sam to be back in that quartet as well. But I do think, you know, subject to where we get to with Scott Fitzgerald, you know, he's back now, he's training. Um, Cheeseman against Fowler, I feel, is a great domestic fight as well, subject to Fowler getting through on Friday night. Let's talk about the rest of the card. Uh, opening the show, Jordan Gill versus Reese Bellotti. Another interesting style matchup that, that delivered. Uh, great performance with Jordan Gill, considering everything he's gone through in the last 12, 18 months. Yeah, it's good. I mean, entertainment-wise, I'd probably give it an 8 out of 10. It caught fire a little bit at times. But I think, you know, Jordan boxed to instructions, which was very smart. And I thought he boxed fantastically well. You know, Reese was a little bit flat-footed at times. I guess some of the things that have cost him in the past. And, and Jordan did exactly what he had to do to control the fight, to win the fight. I thought one of the cards was a bit generous to Reese. You know, I I felt like Jordan won it by three or four rounds. Um, And there were times when I felt Reese might come into the fight, actually. Um, And he hit him with a few beautiful body shots. And 
you know, legs might have dipped slightly, but he was never really in that much trouble, Jordan Gill, and, and a very impressive performance, considering really his career at the top level was on the line. And, you know, he's another one of those guys that can bank that performance, that win, that money, and go, oh, I can have a couple of weeks off now. And listen, if, if things return to normality, I'll box again in November, December. Now, somebody who really caught the attention, obviously, as you know, heavily always on Twitter when the shows are on, and, and our American counterparts were very, very impressed with a certain Dalton Smith and his one-punch knockout win. Um, well, no, not a fair, not a stretch to say it's probably the knockout fight camp so far. What did you make of this performance? I mean, firstly, you know, when we talk about the matchups in fight camp, that fight for me was a great example of when a prospect gets a slot on fight camp, that's exactly what we want. That couldn't have gone better. And we have to give massive credit as well to Nathan Bennett, who came out like a train. And by the way, chin-checked Dalton Smith a few times. And our thoughts are with him. He's actually, uh, he broke his jaw in that fight. He had to have an operation yesterday. So best wishes to Nathan Bennett. Um, and I just thought Dalton Smith was spectacular. You know, when we signed Dalton Smith, a lot of people were saying to me, I'm telling you now, this kid is spectacular. Now, he's had a few illnesses and, and bits and pieces over the first year as a pro, but now he's completely 100% firing. I thought he was outstanding. Shot selection, spiteful, balance, chin as well. You know, he's in with a big, big light welterweight in Nathan Bennett. And, of course, the show real knockout. So, it's I love it when things like that happen because it kind of like, as much as we push these young kids, we can't do it to the level we'd like to without performances like that. So when I look at Dalton Smith, and like you say, I switch on social media and everyone's talking about Dalton Smith, it's easy for me then to start firing out bits and pieces. And, and I, you know, he's young, but I'm kind of like, I think you can win a British title now, you know? And, but calm, calm, calm. Let's go English title first and then British title in 2021. But, I think that the way the sport's going, I think what fight can be shown as well to those guys is, and it's the same thing with Hopi Price this week, really dangerous fight for his third fight for, for a kid who's a baby, you know. Um, we will see the best of these guys once they start stepping up. And I don't want to take backward steps now with Dalton Smith. I want to keep that momentum going because he's good enough. You know, he's had that WSB experience. He's had those five-rounders with these beast Kazakhs and... Uzbeks and he's a world-class fighter, Dalton Smith. He's just lacks experience and that will come over time. Fabio Wardley, another interesting uh, addition to the heavyweight scene, a very composed couple of rounds and then took Simon Valili out in, in some style in the third round. A nice little uh, heavyweight addition. Yeah, I mean, again, like a lot of question marks over Fabio Wardley. I kind of like, one of the things, Rob, is when I'm selling the narratives to these fights, I end up convincing myself that there might be a problem, you know, like, so it's like Simon Valili, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, GB podium squad, ABA champion, moves up to heavyweight, look great sparring, Martin McCann. and I'm thinking, and I'm going, Fabio Wardley, white collar fighter, no amateur experience. And then I'm actually starting to think to myself, is this just hype with Fabio Wardley? Like, is Dillian White just signed a fighter and we're all pushing him and we don't really know? And what I saw was a really competent, composed performance that makes me believe now that he can go on and be in that Dubois, Joyce, young British heavyweight bracket. Not yet, but very soon. You know, two, three more fights. I believe Fabio Wardley could be a real threat to the, to the heavyweight division domestically. We'll have to see 
whether that can transform onto the international scene. But how good, you know, a great, young, good-looking, great-talking, you know, specimen, fast hands, knockout power. It's a great addition to British boxing, you know, and uh, we're very pleased to work with him. He's a joy to work with. I'm sure you've interviewed before. Really nice guy, speaks very eloquently. And I thought it was a great performance. You know, beautiful catch encounter with the left hook and had him hurt and just exploded on the ropes and, and the ref jumped in. So um, it came out of nowhere because I was starting to think, you know, Valili's actually just easing his way into the rounds here. This could get quite interesting and, and Wardley took him out of there. There's some talk after the fight that he may uh, make a return on the White Povetkin undercard. Was that just talk? Yeah, I think um, I get a bit carried away sometimes with that. You know, you kind of forget that fighters have had 10, 12-week camps and, you know, they, they come out and they're like pumped. So I said to him, how's your hands? He goes, yeah, fine. I said, you should get Dillian to stick you on August 20th. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then when you speak the next day and obviously everyone's at their pizzas when they get back to the hotel and, and, and the, the trainer starts going, hang on, hang on, hang on. But there is a chance, you know, there's a couple of heavyweight divisions we're looking at for that card, actually, and he may be one of them. Dave Allen's been talking about potentially getting an interesting offer on the 22nd of August. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, I just, um, you know, obviously, before we made Taylor Pursuit, we were looking at Dave Allen against Huey Fury. Um, we weren't able to make that fight because we made Taylor Pursuit. So, you know, there's a couple of fights floating around for Dave Allen that I quite like, actually, that are kind of in the middle between, you know, the impossible and the the walkover. Ooh. So I've just got to see if that's possible. I think really we need to make a call on that uh, today or tomorrow. Interestingly, Dave Allen is sparring Povetkin um, when he comes over because he has to quarantine. Um, and, you know, once he's out of that period, he'll, he'll be down at the bubble there and, you know, on fight week, moving around with Dave Allen and, you know, um, helping him prepare. So it would work out quite well if Dave was on the show. What's Dillian White's thoughts about Dave Allen's fire and Alexander Povetkin? It's a funny one, isn't it, really? You know, it's like, I guess Dave Allen don't really have much relationship with Dillian White, like not in a bad way, just doesn't really know him. And I think sometimes you've got to look at what's good for your career. You know, is Dave, is Dave Allen sparring Alexander Povetkin going to give him the secret key to beat Dillian White? No. Do you know what I mean? Do you know who's also sparring Alexander Povetkin? Derek Chisora. You know, so it's all it's all very, very interesting. You know, the whole setup um, of the bubble and, uh, uh, you know, training and sparring and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens in terms of the heavyweight additions for the 22nd this week. Before we come on to other business, uh, let's talk about the final card on, on this past week, on this past weekend's fight camp, James Tennyson. Um, yeah. First of all, did you call James Tennyson the most exciting pound-for-pound puncher in world boxing? Probably. Sounds like saying I'd say. <laughs> um, I think I said, yeah, I probably did say that. What I probably meant was he's one of the biggest pound-for-pound punchers in boxing. I really, really believe that. Like, there's people, I know people that have been in the ring with him who said, and by the way, I'm, I'm not saying Gavin Gwynn is a world beater. He's a good fighter. He's got a great chin. He went 12 with Joe Caldino. You know, he, he took the hammer off him. And you just can't hang, you can't hang with Tennyson. You may be able to stop him or knock him out. You know, that's what we've got to see at 135 pounds. We saw some frailties at 130, but is that because he was just making weight? You know, um, so that's still up for discussion. But in terms of raw punch power, you know, it's my job to hype these guys. And as far as I'm concerned, he's the Irish Golovkin. 
I think actually, I think it was uh, Josh Warrington. Yeah. Josh Warrington said he sparred him for the Amagasa fight, and I think yeah. he broke his ribs after four or yeah. five rounds or yeah. something. He can really punch, you know. But I'm sure there are frailties there, but that's what makes him exciting. And when you look at that Northern Irish fight scene and that Belfast fight scene, they should really get behind Tennyson now because you know Carl is has been amazing for for Belfast and Northern Irish boxing, and he's coming to you know, probably won't like me saying this, but coming to the final stages of his career, let's say. And, and Ryan Burnett's retired. So really, you know, in order of rank, now James Tennyson's right up there and they should get behind him because he's really exciting. Raised a few eyebrows talking about Jorge Linares after the fight. Obviously, boxing Fortuna at the end of August. Mm. That's, a, that's a hell of a name if you can get him in there with him. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of fight that sells out the Odyssey. You know, in Belfast, once we're back up and running. And you imagine those two going at it. I mean, someone's getting sparked in that fight. So I like it. But I think when you look at Tennyson and you look at, you know, he's just won the British lightweight title. So, okay, who does he fight next? You look at that those rankings. There is no fight I think makes sense for James Tennyson for the British title at that level. You know, above him, you have Ricky Burns, Lee Selby, Luke Campbell. So they're not, they're not interested in fighting for the British title. So really, I think the move now for him is to try and fight Francesco Patera. You know, you saw beat Lewis Ritson. He won the European lightweight title. He's moved to the top five in the world. Could be a final eliminator. That's a proper fight for James Tennyson. So that, that be done under COVID, under the kind of current guidelines? Uh, yeah, possibly. Possibly. I think, um, again, that's a fight we'd love to take to Belfast. But I do think that, yeah, that is a fight that we could make, you know, under these kind of circumstances. While we're talking about the lightweights, um, what's the latest on Ryan Garcia versus Luke Campbell? I spoke to Eric Gomez the other day. To say he was tight-lipped is, um, is probably an understatement. What can you tell me? Um, only that I made him an offer. They wanted a bit more. I mean, they wanted an amount that's not really achievable, but it wasn't an outrageous request, to be honest with you. Um, it's just difficult at the moment, really, to find a model to make a fight like that work. Um, in America, is it? Is it here in the UK? Does the, the deal change for either man if the country changes? Um, I haven't really gone into too much details with Luke and Shane and the team there yet because we need to know if Ryan Garcia will take the fight and then we'll we'll look at that. Luke and Shane have made it clear to me they're more than happy to step up in that fight. Ryan Garcia appears to be. Um, we will get to a stage soon where we'll have purse bids and then we'll see where we go with it. You know, um, I think it's a wonderful fight. You know, sometimes you can tell by social media reaction um, the interest of a fight. And, and the interest in that fight was absolutely huge. So for me, that could be one of the best fights of 2020. And I think purse bids are coming maybe the end of this week or something like that. So we have to try and reach a deal this week. When it comes to somebody like Ryan Garcia, I sort of said this to Eric Gomez, and he's at a stage of his career where he's not, he's, I mean, he's had a couple of solid wins, Romero Duno, etc., but he's not had a breakout win, yet he has this enormous social media profile. How does that impact on you making a deal? You're, you're kind of dealing with a prospect with like a, a multi-weight world champion profile. How yeah. does that affect a negotiation? He'll want a lot of money for that fight because it's a very dangerous fight, and I see him getting beat in that fight as well. I mean, I wouldn't, it's a very tough spot for them because when a fight like that gets ordered, you know, if you duck the fight, he's already got the reputation that he's a social media fighter, right? I don't agree with that. I think he's a very, very good fighter, right? But still with a lot of questions to answer. But 
Eddie Reynoso certainly believes in him, and Eddie Reynoso is a fantastic trainer, and he knows what he's doing. Um, so you're making like you know it is a world title fight, but he is a big name. But Luke Campbell's a big name. You know, he had a great fight with Vasily Lomachenko. He's one of the top lightweights in the world. Um, so yeah, look, Ryan Garcia wants more money than someone with his record would warrant, but you're not just taking into consideration his record, you're taking into consideration his following, which is impressive. Elsewhere in the lightweight division, Lomachenko Lopez, the, um, well, I don't know, is it undisputed, isn't it? Who knows? I'm still confused. Um, but that seems to have hit the skids a little bit. I'm sure you've seen it and heard it. What do you make of that, Lomachenko Lopez? Uh, well, again, you know, I only know, sorry, Rob, we're just, we're, we're avoiding something. <laughs> I only know, really, what you know. You know, I know a little bit more about the dynamics of the money and, and the, the, the situation we're in. But the problem is, is, as I keep saying, is that fighters have been vastly overpaid over the last two years. Right. Good luck to what well, I was one of the problems. Aaron keeps telling me, you know, but as much as I was a problem, he started spending more money to try and you know, battle it out with me, and then Heyman's... So, we're all to blame, really. The problem is, is the money that's been floating around in the last couple of years, if the offer of 1.2 million is correct, it's not a lot of money. In fact, it's poor money for a guy who is a world champion, right? We're not talking about a challenger. I mean, Luke Campbell you know, got more money than that to fight Vasily Lomachenko. He was a mandatory challenger. Do you know what I mean? You're talking about a world champion in Vasily Lomachenko. You're talking about a very good fighter that is putting his whole career, really, on the line against Vasily Lomachenko. If he loses, he loses his world championship, right? And I actually thought, and, you know, I don't mind saying this, I would, I would have had a couple of defences, if I'm Vasily, if I'm Tiafimo Lopez, because I felt like the jury was out about Tiafimo Lopez, and then he came out and he blasted out Richard Comey, and I was like, okay, this guy's the real deal. But really, like where we are at the moment, and I know the fight fans, you know, they're dying for big fights to come back. That fight is only going to get bigger and bigger. No one knows who Tiafimo Lopez is in America yet, really. And Lomachenko, as good as he is, he's no superstar in America. So, for me, that's the undisputed fight. That's the biggest fight in the division. It's one of the biggest fights in boxing. So, if you're saying that for one of the biggest fights in boxing today, that an existing world champion should only get $1.2 million to fight the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world, it looks like a terrible offer. But I don't know if it's true. You know? And by the way, it's not easy right now. You know, if top rank want to make that fight, they have to do it with no crowd. You know, it's just not a pay-per-view fight in America. It's just not. It's a brilliant, brilliant fight. But what, how many buys is that going to do? Really? It won't do... I don't think it does 50,000 buys in America. So you have to get ESPN to front the money up with no crowd. Lomachenko's on, what, reportedly three and a half, four million or something like that. He wants... Lopez probably wants a couple of million. So you're in for six million plus 
before you put an undercard on, before you've paid the cost of the bout, where's the money coming from? You know? So I don't blame top rank. I'm not saying top rank have made him an unfair offer. I'm just saying that in the landscape that we've seen, and you look at Campbell and you look at those kind of guys, Haney and, you know, what these guys are making, you, you can't possibly think about accepting that fight for that kind of money. Okay, pushing on, um, talking about numbers, talking about ratings. Didn't have the numbers late last night, so tweeted Mr. Coppinger. He responded to the call yeah, yeah, yeah. and tweeted some numbers. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the numbers for those people who haven't seen them um, for this past weekend show at Fight Camp? Well, Coppinger, Coppinger is like, what's the best way to describe? He's like a little mole. You know, you know what pops out of the hole. You know, like, he gets everywhere. So he's like, he's just... He, the one thing I'll say about Mike is he bloody knows everything, right? And he's never, I've never actually known him to be wrong or far wrong. So he's, he's very good at his job. Slippery, old Coppinger, very slippery. Um, but, you know, the ratings that he gave were correct. I see the ratings when they come in after every show the following day. They're reported by Sky, who have the numbers for every show on their platform. It's not difficult to get. Um, I was happy, you know, I think our numbers, I would have, I was hoping for a little bit more, to be honest, but it was probably double the numbers that we would have got for that card outside of Fight Camp, if that makes sense. So if that was a next gen show, for example, we probably would have had half the numbers that we did. So there's still room for improvement. I want to see that tick up to 300,000 plus the peak, to be honest. But it was a long show, you know, it was seven. I don't think we came off air till 11.30. So across three and a half hours, the peak is going to be a little bit lower than expected. And also, you had Arsenal against Chelsea, which didn't finish till half seven, plus the ceremony, plus the trophy presentation. So might have affected us a little bit, but solid start, I thought. Was Coppinger far wrong about the white Povetkin design numbers? They haven't fought yet. Uh, sorry, Joshua Povetkin. Beg your pardon, Eddie. Monday morning. Right. No, no. I think that's probably he's talking about maybe sign-ups or pay-per-view buys. But it wasn't far off that number, probably around 20,000, something like that. So he's not, you know, I'm not saying he's right all the time, but he's only using information. I know where he's got the information from. It's actually not me. But I know <laughs> where he's getting it from. And, it, and it's the official numbers from the broadcasters. So it's not, you know, you get, these, you get the ratings come in the day after. <coughs> which, to be honest, most industry people can get hold of. And then after that, you'll have you know, further numbers come out today and tomorrow. Um, and they're, they're within like 10% of the worst spread of the numbers that you saw in post. The only thing it doesn't include, numbers last night, is streaming. So people watching by their phone, people watching by their laptop, their tablet, which is, you know, is ticking up. You know, it used to be five percent now it's considerably more so solid start room for improvement you said to me when i interviewed you when i come down to fight camp the other day that you said exactly the same thing you said 100k if it was just a normal show 200k is what you were hoping for how encouraged are you by those numbers and how much of a boost does that give you going into week two um it's not like you know the ratings were really solid it didn't they didn't knock my socks off but at the same time from and this isn't this really isn't a dig at everybody else, but from what I've been seeing around the world, 
I've been shitting myself thinking, do people just not want to watch boxing anymore? You know, I mean, we only did, you know, we did less than ESPN, but ESPN is across the whole of America. I mean, you know, so, and you see the other numbers in the UK and it's worrying, you know, if I'm a broadcaster and, and I'm getting those kind of numbers, I'm thinking, what is going on? So, but again, with not being funny, Rob, I push this like a pay-per-view event, fight camp, you know, like I, I've been grafting my nuts off pushing this. And again, like this morning, but it's working, you know, GM, Good Morning Britain on ITV this morning, 10, 15 minutes on there, Ben Shepherd again, raving about it on ITV, you know, uh, BBC coming down later to do a big piece, it's all over Sky News, Sky Sports News, this is the vehicle, and now we have a vehicle ourselves that is powerful. So, but we've got to continue this starting from today, all week, build up to the first ever British uh, world title fight between uh, two females with Harper and Jonas. And then next week, and then push into a monster with White Povetkin and Taylor for soon. So it's good news for boxing. It's good news for boxing. And by the way, that goes for everybody, like even our competitors, because they can actually say to their broadcasters, look, decent numbers there. We're, we're okay. We've just got to get the model right, or we've got to push it accordingly. Going to move on to a few quick things. Appreciate your time. I know you're very busy this morning. Um, Canelo, where do we stand with that? Again, Eric Gomez, yes sir, no sir, three bags, full sir, but didn't say anything to me about it. What can you tell me? I'm, I'm, I mean, I know much less than Eric Gomez, obviously. I, I'm just, uh, at the moment, waiting for a call or correspondence to let us know if any of our guys have got the fight. You know, um, Callum Smith has been training for September 12th, as is John Ryder, as is, you know, or Andrade or all the other names you put forward but we have to really say again well I don't know but September 12 is dead you know and it's difficult because Callum is calling me saying mate like I, I don't want to be training like I am if September 12 is not happening but of course there's no confirmation of that and it's not really my business either you know I'm asking people at DAZN but I think the general feeling is unlikely now but when will that be you know you don't want to taper off too much in training they come back and go oh we're going on the 22nd you know so I think as difficult as it is I think fighters can probably say to themselves the 12th's not happening but maybe the 19th or the 25th will you know um, but I say it's not my business you know I might have a fighter in the fight and I hope I do and our guys are ready and as I said before it would be an honour for one of our guys to get another shot at Canelo Alvarez but it is really difficult at the moment, really difficult. And I feel for Golden Boy because we're in the same boat with a lot of our big fighters where it's just, it's not easy. You know? And fighters may have to adjust their money. You know, fighters may have to uh, be delayed. They may have to take different kind of fights. I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's not easy to get a fighter like Canelo Alvarez right out right now without them being understanding of the situation and maybe taking a little bit of a bath on their purse. Do you think there is, it is a case of that? Or do you think they maybe already know who they're boxing? I know Mayweather did something very similar for the large portions of his career, kind of keep guys on the hook yeah, until 60 Again, I wouldn't know. But I don't think they've done a deal with anyone yet to fight. So, I'm... I'm I'm almost certain that Canelo Alvarez's first choice is Callum Smith, right, of the people available. Because it would make him the legitimate number one 168-pounder if you beat him. 
Ring Magazine Championship, Super WBA belt, WBC Diamond. So, and I know Canelo loves challenges. You know, he loves to fight the best. He loves to fight champions. Um, but also, Callum Smith is expensive because he's the Ring Magazine champion. He's the WBA super champion. So, of course, he's going to be expensive. But, you know, that, there's no way around that. A zone pushing for the Smith fight? I know there, there were some names, some quite obscure names, of all due respect to the people who were mentioned, your Willie Monroe's, etc. A zone pushing for, for a Callum Smith fight over a Willie Monroe, for example? I would, I would, I mean, I would think that's a silly question, but obviously <laughs> the, the purses are very different for a Willie yeah. Monroe and a Callum Smith. I don't see how, well, I don't know where the Willie Monroe stuff's come from. I mean, Willie Monroe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. But there's no, for me, I mean, I, again, I don't know, but I can't even see there's a conversation about that fight unless I'm missing something. You know, for me, it has to come from Callum Smith. John Ryder is very credible and there's obviously less money uh, than Callum Smith. Um, Demetrius Andrade, uh, Bivol, if he wants to stay at 75 and try and win another world title. I mean, these are all fantastic fights. So, but again, like I said, it's the challenges that we're faced with, Rob. It's not just as easy anymore as saying, yeah, you, how much do you want? Oh, a little negotiation, bomb, sign. No, it's working out the finances. And I think now realising that it will be behind closed doors. You know, I think back in June or July, people were going, yeah, September, October, you know, in America will be, and America's wild. You know, it's like you look at the numbers out there. I mean, here, you know, we're still hoping to get people in arenas for October. But there... It's just wild. Wild. Um, I was due to, I was going to talk about this just before I left. I have a, an interview pending with Dr. Rod uh, of Matchroom, Rod Balelos, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. who is your, um, your, your new doctor, which I think yeah, is a very yeah. positive move from Matchroom. Um, let's talk about that show in Tulsa. Oklahoma's, you know, not great for COVID at the minute. Talk to us a little bit about the, the kind of challenges in putting that show on. It's, it's okay. I mean, we, you know, we're in Tulsa. We've been monitoring the numbers in Tulsa nonstop. Um, they've had a couple of aggressive days, shall we say, and looks like there's a, a nice plateau now on those numbers. But again, it's like day-by-day monitoring. I mean, it's nowhere near the levels of Los Angeles County or, you know, other other territories, Texas maybe as well. Um, but I just, I, I'm a real big believer at the moment in staging outdoor events. It's a real different kind of feel. You know, when you're, in this kind of pandemic and you're in a dark, dingy, sweaty studio, it ain't a nice place to be. You know, you're out here, you've got the, the fresh air, it's a vast space. And again, our show in Tulsa is the same kind of setup. Um, outdoors, you know, in amongst the skyscrapers, etc. Our doctor that we've employed full-time in America, which is very expensive, but I feel like necessary across many different levels, by the way, in boxing. And I like this move by us, which I think should follow in different territories of having that full-time doctor to assist in many things, you know, the safety for the fight of the fighters, you know, assisting with a medical team on the night, so many different elements of that. And right now his role is to make this event as safe as possible. Um, out there, because of the extensive uh, spread of the virus, what he's bringing in is probably five times stricter than what we have here, which is when you arrive, I believe, and he'll tell you later, I believe it's a 48-hour quarantine before you even get your test. Do you know what I mean? So I think you're something like 
like nearly 72 hours in your room there in the bubble, which is very difficult for fighters who might be wanting to train or make weight or, so it's getting them it's getting the mix right of making sure fighters can prepare properly and making sure the event is as safe as possible. So we are going to the all extremes as we have done here. And I'll go back into the bubble tomorrow for another test, which I can't wait for. And it's challenging. It's challenging, but we've got to do it right. We've got to do it properly. And I think, you know, employing a full-time doctor there to, to handle our situation is very, very important and just stands us out from the rest. Uh, I agree. I do think it's a very positive step. Uh, looking forward to catching up with Dr. Rod. Uh, before I let you go, let's do some heavyweight talk. Eddie, Joshua uh, Pulev, when I was down at Fight Camp the other day, the general talk was December, November, December time at the O2. What can you tell me? Same, yeah. I mean, again, we had a kick in the nuts last week because we had, uh, you know, we were one of the test events that were approved by the government. We had the World Snooker Championships, cricket and the horse racing. And we had one day with crowds, which went very well, and months of work went into that. And then the government turned around and said, actually, we're pulling the plug on that, which cost us a fortune and set us back in terms of the development of getting people back into venues. So I believe there's a review of that on August the 15th. Um, it seems like everyone's fascinated with a second wave, aren't they? You know, And again, I think everybody's a COVID-19 expert in the last few months, me included. And let's be honest, none of us have a fucking clue what we're talking about. So cross your fingers and hope. And at the moment, it's just a case of like literally here, week by week, ticking it off and going, week one done, right, Friday. Bring Friday around, bring Friday around, bosh, too. Let me get these four events done because then we're back up and running. Takes a little bit of pressure off fighters. You know, we've just got to keep trying to advance and move forward. And just baby steps, pushing the boundaries, pushing the boundaries, whilst take, making sure that everything is safe. But hoping that October we will see a return of people in arenas. And when we get around to December, maybe we can even fill up the O2 for AJ. But AJ also prepared to fight behind closed doors. He's got no choice. You know, he, he has to advance his career. He wants to improve. So whatever happens, I'm pretty sure it'll be very early December, will be AJ's date. If for whatever reason, shows aren't back. I know you well enough to know that you would have been thinking about these things and contingency plans. What are the options? What are the current likely options if, for whatever reason, crowds can't come back? I think unless there was a complete disaster, we will have crowds back in some form in December, like whether it's 1,000, whether it's 5,000. So that gives us an opportunity to be creative around those numbers and try and drive some kind of gate. Failing that, is a more disastrous situation where you have to do another behind closed door event where you might be looking at losing five, six, seven million of revenue from the show. But again, you have to speak to Anthony Joshua, you have to speak to Kubrat Pulev, and you have to say, this is, you know, it's not, it's pretty easy to see it's not a lie. Do you know what I mean? So it's not like it's some shifty promoter going, oh, mate, I can't believe it. You wouldn't believe what's happened. You know what I mean? He's pulled out and I'm going to have to pay you less money. Like everybody knows the situation we're in. It doesn't matter what economy you're in right now, what, sorry, what industry you're in. Everybody's feeling the pinch and everybody's looking for a discount. You know, even our broadcasters, our sponsors, our, you know, but it's the quality operators. It's the people who are the best partners that believe in you. And a lot of those exist with us who have stood by us and said, no, we believe in this project. We back you a million percent. And that's always remembered. And that's why we'll be loyal to them as well. And they'll be in the game with us for a long time. Um, and that goes for fighters as well. You know, a fighter never wants you to come to him and say, 
really sorry, but this is that. You know, they want you to find a solution. So my line of thinking right now is not, oh, how am I going to have a conversation with a fighter about the world and taking less money? Mine is, how do I find a solution to make sure we don't need that conversation? Or we need a conversation that's a little bit less brutal. And that's what we're beavering away in the background doing. Usyk Chisora, is that very much in the same mould as Joshua? I mean, you know, the, the plan for that is still the end of October, maybe first week of November but we need a crowd or we need a site fee. It's impossible on those numbers. And listen, you may get a situation where we go back to those guys and say, look, your options are, we can go now in October, but these are the new purses, or we can wait till there's a crowd or there's a site fee. But you know, these guys are going to get, Ben Usyk's been out for a year. Chisora's been out for a year. You know, AJ will have been out for a year when he steps back in the ring. So everybody's in the same boat and it's, it's not the best. So... Fingers crossed, but we keep cracking on and we look forward to another big week at Fight Camp on Friday. Okay, before I let you go, Eddie, wouldn't be right without talking about the biggest heavyweight fight in world boxing. I am, of course, talking about Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr., the exhibition bout scheduled for September. Thoughts, Eddie? Uh, I'm never comfortable with an exhibition bout because what are you actually getting? What are you paying for? Like This shouldn't happen, but I'd rather they just went at it hammer and tongue. Do you know what I mean? I'd buy that then, to be honest. I don't think ethically that's right, and I don't think it's necessarily great for boxing, but I would probably buy it. I don't really want to buy an exhibition because what are you going to do? Like After a round, you're going to start joking around and you're going to have an interview mid-round. I don't know. Like It's one of those things where you have to be very... Like Sky got approached for the fight, you know, and they've spoke to me about it. I'm not saying they won't take it, but it's like... You could be a round or two in going, oh my God, what is this? So I would rather they both said, we're going to go in and absolutely try and take each other's head off. Like I said, ethically, for the sport of boxing, that wouldn't be right either, but I prefer that in terms of a TV offering to an exhibition. I think Mike Tyson said that he is going to do that. Is he? Okay. <laughs> anyway, on, but on but the... then you've got the commission saying, if they do that, we're going to stop, stop the fight. Tyson comes out and goes for it and the, and the commissioner goes, no. I mean, it would be an absolute disaster. But listen, it's getting everyone's attention. Anything that keeps people talking about boxing and engages them, I'm all for anyway. So, crack on, boys. Your mate Jake Paul on the undercard? Yeah, spoke to him the other day. So, um, I think Jake Paul can fight. I think out of those guys, he may be the best one. But um, I don't know the guy he's fighting. I think he's an ex... Um, NBA or uh, Major League Baseball or NFL, but I don't know. But listen, I'm sure a lot of people will watch it. I'm sure a lot of people will watch it. I just think we need to explain a little bit better what it is actually going to be. Can you uh, throw us a YouTube fight sometime soon, Eddie, please? Yeah, what, for more numbers for you? Yes. Oh, Eddie has a joke with YouTube. Oh, we hate... oh Eddie, can you do YouTube? I never said that. Okay, okay. <laughs> Eddie Hearn, always a pleasure. I've taken up way too much of your time. Thanks very much for speaking to Boxing Social. Congratulations on an excellent show this past weekend. Look forward to Fight Camp Week 2 this Friday. Natasha Jonas versus Terry Harper. Cheers, Rob. Bye, Cheers, mate. Ed. Thanks. <laughs>